Hello and welcome to ESPN Quick Info Stump Mike listener. This is Tuesday, the 8th of February. A couple of days out from the finish of the Under-19 World Cup. And it's also a bit of a pause in the Pakistan Super League. So these are the two tournaments we'll be covering today. And with us on the panel today are two gentlemen who have watched each tournament respectively probably from start to midway point in the Pakistan Super League and from start to finish in the Under-19 World Cup. First up, Shresh Shah. Shresh, welcome to the show. Thank you, Karthik, for having me. Uh, looking forward to this chat with you and Danyal. Along with Shresh, as he has mentioned, <laughs> is Danyal Rasul. Danyal, of course, is going to be our PSL expert here. But first, firstly, let's let's start with the Under-19 World Cup, Danyal. And we were talking offline. You and I both haven't watched much. I've also, I have to confess, I've seen more of the PVS, PSL than I did the Under-19 World Cup because the timings clashed a lot and a lot of the PSL was interesting. But did, did you get glimpses or did you follow the action online or through Cricket for Ball by Ball as well? Hi, Karthik. Yeah, good to be here. Um, yeah, as the tournament especially uh, progressed towards the later stages, I thought the semi-finals and the later stages of the tournament were quite fun. I was keeping an eye on Pakistan's progress, especially because some of the Under-19 players weren't going to be at the PSL, so it affected how the PSL went as well. So yeah, um, I, I think I think I followed a bit, and I'll be quizzing stretched about a few questions that I have as well as we go through the part. Excellent. So all eyes and ears on you, Shresht. You do know I like a good quiz, so. <laughs> <laughs> Shresht, last time you were there for the Under Nineteen World Cup, although this time obviously circumstances meant that you were here. But hey, let's start overall about about this tournament. You've covered. Is it two now from from start to finish for for ESPN Cricket Info? Yeah. How when 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 you look at the Under Nineteen World Cup, what in terms of coverage, it's not like covering internationals, right? These are not yet fully professional, fully fledged sports persons out out there playing. So, what are the differences maybe in say covering a say a T Twenty World Cup or even any other bilateral series as compared to the Under Nineteen edition? Very good question. I think the first thing is that uh, in Under Nineteen, the beauty beauty is that the players are playing on a grand scale or a big scale for the first time so you can actually feel the nerves uh, you can you can you can feel the the nervous tension the energy it is uh, incomparable to 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 a bilateral series for sure but sometimes it is even uh, more exciting or nervous energy than say a, a t20 world cup or an odi world cup because this is their mark to make and for every country an under 19 world cup has a different value I'm sure we, we might talk about that in a bit, but unlike other tournaments where every team's goal is to, say, win and become superstars or whatever, here it's every country has a different reason as to why they're here at the at the Under-19 World Cup. And uh, that, that, that's what I like about it. Yeah, you know, it was interesting because Danyal, I don't know if you heard this quote, but this was from Tom Press, the England captain. And he made it a point to mention that one of the more important things about having such a grand tournament and in this age group is is him learning how to do media duties. Maybe that's something that he'll have to do for the rest of his career, of course, if he makes it in, 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 in the big leagues. But I found that interesting to go along with all the cricketing stuff as well. I think one of the key things, and I think Stretch has covered more under-19 content than I have, so he'll know this better than me. But the, one of the good things about uh, covering under-19 cricket and the under-19 World Cup is it might be a World Cup, but these players at times need journalists as much as journalists need them. So at times, you know, when you cover the IPL or the World Cup, it'll be much harder to get access to the main characters of that tournament. But when you get to the Under-19 World Cup, you can pretty much cover, uh, players will make themselves available to you at length at times, and you can, you know, have a much more uh, insightful 
glimpse into the tournament because players will let you in in a way that they might not at the senior level. So in that sense, I think it's a, it's much more rewarding for a journalist to cover this sort of tournament as well. Yeah, that that reminds me. I think too in twenty when was it? When in twenty twelve, the first interview I ever did, just out of college, uh, a young desk reporter was with Shreyas. It was with Unmukh Chand at that point mm. of time, and and I think we got got ten or fifteen minutes. And at the end of the interview, because we were probably a similar age, he was definitely slightly younger younger than 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 me. But we got along to an extent that I had his number in my phone, and for the longest time, I thought then at least that okay, I have the personal number of probably one of India's future greats. It it didn't work out for him, but the point still holds. That I remember when during in NDTV when we were at there was this university cricket competition, and a lot of Mumbai's Ranji players over the next few years, like Siddesh Lard, for example, you just you just knew them like you could pick up your phone and message these guys. So that's a, that's one good thing about Under Nineteen World Cup is access. Uh, by access, I mean key. You know, often uh, people, players at the age of twenty two, twenty three, are too media trained, especially in the Asian countries. You know, if you talk about, the, if you talk to them, they will only talk about processes and intents and doing things right, because that is sort of the media training which goes into uh, these players as they get older. But to the younger players, it is so honest and so raw that it actually makes for some amazing stories. All right, so let's let's then get to the cricket, Shrest, uh, India. Going into this World Cup, four-time champions before they went in two thousand, it was then I think two thousand eight, two thousand twelve, and two thousand. When was the last one? Which one am I missing out on? Two thousand eighteen. Yeah, India went into into this World Cup as favorites, and and their dominance it it pretty much showed, right? Like six matches, six victories, sixty wickets. There was a COVID scare in the camp as well. I think during the Ireland game, just before the Ireland game, it didn't affect them at all. So Gary Lineker or some somebody famous in football had a quote that football is a game of twenty two people chasing a ball and Germany winning one nil, and the <laughs> under nineteen World Cup is sort of similar uh, because it's about a fight of who will play India in the final for most cases because I mean a knockouts game anything can happen but essentially this is the sort of feeling in the system of under nineteen cricket because the, given the resources India have and the a number of good players they have that is pretty much how it functions india are big favorites all every time if they don't win a final or don't make the final it's a massive surprise uh, so this it was the same this year as well yeah absolutely india went in there and ended up winning their fifth under 19 world cup which is which is pretty dominant name name a couple of players that stood out for you i'll, I'll I, I when I when I watched obviously in the in the final Raj Bawa's performance with both ball especially and then with bat as well when India were in trouble I think against England at least a bit of trouble hundred odd for four down chasing one ninety one ninety to win I thought he really stood out there so who are the others who throughout the course of these six games they impressed so one interesting thing about the build up to this under nineteen World Cup for for many countries but also India was the lack of. Playing time as a group or as an under nineteen touring unit to other countries, which which is usual, which is a usual thing pre tournament. This time, these players actually congregated quite late, also just before the Asia Cup as a squad. They hadn't played much, so they they hadn't played much first class, of course, because Ranji Trophy hasn't happened for a while. Uh, they have played like two or three listy games, so actually the buzz around them was quite less than usual. You know, so how every tournament there is a. Uh, a couple of people who stand up from before, like in twenty eighteen, it was 
Prithvi Shaw and Shubhman Gill, who everybody knew about. In 2016, it was Ishan Kishan and Rishabh Pant, who everybody knew about. This time, it wasn't so much like that, you know. I mean, of course, you knew that someone named Yash Dhul from Delhi's from West Delhi is captain, but people really didn't know much about these players, and and that was the interesting thing. They 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 could blossom perhaps because they didn't even have the pressure. So of course, Yash Dhul stood out for his composure and his and his batting as well as his captaincy. There's the 16-year-old in the squad called Ankarish Raghuvanshi, opener. Uh, his parents are both sportspersons who were also impressed because he wasn't expected to be one of the standouts. You know, the vice-captain Sheikh Rashid was excellent. There were left-arm spinners, Vicky Ostwal and Nishant Sindhu. The fast bowlers, Rajwardhan Hangargekar, Ravi Kumar. Raj Baba was the key, was a key playing a key Hardik Pandya type role in, as a as a seam bowling all-rounder. So there are a lot of players, and the beauty is key. If one of them went missing, or as it happened as the tournament progressed, uh, it didn't affect the team. I mean, you know, everybody was, no one was uh, indispensable, you know. Uh, everybody uh, could play without one key member missing. And uh, these are all stars in the making. It just depends how they can take their talent from here and spend the next few years in domestic cricket to break into even more greater things. Yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned that because if you look at Raghuvanshi, who finished as India's top scorer, now, if you look at the most runs in the tournament, you would expect a side that has been so dominant to 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 at least have names in the top three, right? Maybe filling up all those spaces. But Raghuvanshi is fourth in 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 the list of top run scorers in the top wicket takers of of the tournament. The first Indian Indian bowler is Oswal, who's I think at eighth or something, way down there in the list. So clearly, like like you mentioned, it has been a complete team performance. I also found it interesting, Shresh, and I know you saw this towards the end after. During the celebrations, Vivyas Lakshman, who was there with the under-19 side, probably acting in some sort of mentor capacity to them, along with coach Rishikesh Kanatkar, he was there and he said that he made it very, very, very important that the players knew that this was just the start of their journey, that this is probably not going to be a be-all and end-all. And I don't know, Shreyas, if it was, was it, it was you that tweeted? You had done a bit of research and found out that, particularly for India, in each under-19 World Cup winning squad, maybe three or four make it to the international level or have been capped for India. So that's what, a 30%? Yeah. I mean, something like that. The, the, the point is that the better the team you are in, like India, I mean, cricketing system, the tougher it is for you to make it to the international team. What I mean is, on the from the class of 2020, we have four people who have already played for Zimbabwe. We have, we have already three people who have played for Bangladesh. You know, we have Haider Ali debuting for Pakistan. Uh, we had Mohammad Wasim debuting Pakistan. But India, Ravi Bishno is a great talent, but he hasn't yet. You know, so so that that, that just gives, and he was the player of the, uh, he was the highest wicket taker in 2020. So that's what that's what I mean to say, ki, uh, it, it actually, in a good cricketing system, it's very hard to make the cut from under-19 to, to international team. IPL is not that hard. It's the it's the Indian team or the national team which is the key thing, and you'll notice this also in Australia, England, and so on. And so it is it is a thing. Um, I I just wanted to jump in if that's okay with a question, Stretch. So I was watching some of the Under Nineteen World Cup, and I saw I think Ian Bishop uh, mentioned the stat. He said that uh, across the history of the Under Nineteen World Cup, approximately one in four cricketers end up uh, playing for their country. Do you think there's a difference in terms of India, England and Australia where that number might be a little lower than the other countries or do you see it uniform across? Because if you said three people have played for India from a certain uh, under-19 generation, that's probably par with what the stats are. No, so I'll tell you what happens is the numbers get skewed by teams like 
teams like Afghanistan and Ireland, you know. So I think those teams have like a 50, 55, 60% progression rate from under 19 to, 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 to senior cricket. And and the other teams like India, Pakistan, uh, Australia, England have say around 10, 12%. So that's what brings it down to around 1 in 4 to 25%, you know. So that's that's how it works. I think it's just generally the, yeah, it's, it's the talent pool among among probably the, the, the big three. It's the big three once again coming in, into even this under-19 equation. Okay, now let's look at where each of the 16 teams finished here, Stres. So help me out here if I get any of them wrong because I don't have the list in front of me. I'm just going based on a little bit of memory that I have from a couple of days ago. So India, of course, champions. They beat England in the final who finished second. Australia beat Afghanistan in what was a pretty good thriller in that third-place playoff. So Australia finished third, Afghanistan fourth. Pakistan, they had a brilliant performance from their captain to finish fifth ahead of Sri Lanka in sixth. South Africa finished seventh. Bangladesh, eighth. The plate champions ended up being the UAE, who beat Ireland to ninth and tenth spot. West Indies, the hosts, they finished 11th. Maybe a bit disappointing for them. It was Zimbabwe in 12th. And in 13th, I think you want to give a special mention to this team. Well, Uganda did come 13th, uh, which is an excellent performance, considering it was their first time, I think, uh, 15 or 16 years to turn up at an under-19 World Cup. And we don't see much of Uganda playing. So, for them to uh, get the better of Scotland in the 13th-14th playoff uh, was was a good was a good thing to see for the sake of cricket. But we need to take into consideration that uh, Canada and PNG could not play that plate uh, games for multiple reasons, because Canadian players had tested positive and the tournament would have ended. So, they couldn't have the couple of games. Which essentially meant that uh, Canada had to finish 15-16th along with PNG because PNG also had lost one of their games earlier. So, uh, yeah, bit bit of luck, but I mean that's what the results say. So you you have to live with. So it. Uganda in 13th was good. We have covered all the teams now. A lot of comments, at least from where I saw on our social media and and generally the chatter the chatter online was that it was disappointing for West Indies being being hosts and finishing finishing a lowly 11th. Yes. So West Indies had. Two tricky games, of course, in the group stage, you know. So, they had Sri Lanka and Australia also in the group, which is tricky because uh, uh, even though West Indies' uh, condition, home condition is supposed to help, West Indies also provides tricky surfaces, low bounce, turn as well, especially on wickets, which keep on seeing games played on them, like in a tournament like this. And, and And they lost to Australia first up. Okay, which is okay. You might lose to Australia, still a good team, but then it was the Sri Lanka game where they, even though they scored two fifty, they could not defend it, and that was a sort of a virtual pre-quarters. And once you lose that, I mean, you're obviously you're out of out of tournament championship reckoning. But in the ninth place playoff, they lost to uh, they, I mean, the plate division. They lost to UAE. Uh, UAE successfully defended two twenty four. Uh, West Indies were all out for a sub one fifty score one forty two. And, I mean, if you lose to UAE, um, I mean, UAE were eventual champions. I mean, they were plate champions. So, that, that it is what it is. I think one thing about under-19 cricket is it's it's always probably a bit foolhardy to look at how many titles have been won in the past because you cannot play, obviously, this format endlessly. But Pakistan, Danyal, uh, they finished fifth. How is it? How is this result being looked at Looked at in Pakistan? Now, if you look at historically, they were champions in 2004 and 2006, back-to-back champions. But... Is it is it a feeling of we should be dominating in this format, or is it a feeling of we have enough talent in this team from what we have seen, who will probably make it in the senior ranks in domestic as well as international cricket? 
I think Pakistan over the last few years has been looked at a side where people uh, people don't really follow. There isn't a culture of following the under-19 team to the extent that maybe there is in India. But I, I'd also say that Pakistan are a side that are expected to go deep in most under-19 tournaments because people generally only remember the sides that end up doing well. For example, the 2004-06, that generation, people think, oh, Pakistan have a culture of doing well. Then 2010, they reach the final. Even here, even I think in, in the last in the last World Cup, I think they lost to India in the semifinals, I think I'm not wrong. Um, that was, I think, quite a heavy defeat, but they did do quite well up to that stage. And then when it came to uh, this particular tournament, they had... They had a group that, yeah, maybe wasn't the most challenging, but wasn't the easiest either because Afghanistan, for example, they did beat who ended up finishing, uh, making the semifinals and giving both England and Australia a really rough ride through those games. But I think Pakistan maybe, uh, once again, maybe stress will help me here, but Pakistan maybe think they had uh, a slightly unfortunate draw because Sri Lanka actually beat Australia and Pakistan had to play them. And whether it's under-19 or the regular World Cup, Pakistan end up not doing well against Australian knockout games. They've also lost to Australia, I think, at the World Cup final, at the under-19 World Cup final in 2010. And so Afghanistan went on to face Sri Lanka, whom they beat, of course. And then when Pakistan faced Sri Lanka, they did manage to beat them to a fifth-place finish. But yeah, I think it was just Pakistan thought they did well through the group stages. They just ran into Australia a bit too early and they were too good for them. But yeah, I'd I'd like to hear more about the Sri Lanka-Australia game stretch. Was that a surprise or was that just a reflection of how Sri Lanka had been playing? So Sri Lanka-Australia was an interesting game because the group stage game was essentially decided who was going to top the table. So that game was not shown on television. So we can only rely, rely on scorecards. So not much to say there. But it was a one-man effort by the Sri Lankan captain, Vela Lage, who hit a 50 and a Pfeiffer and ran through Australia. But Daniel, you'll be interested to know that, and everyone who's listening, that Pakistan have finished fifth. But the beauty of the tournament is, even if you get eliminated from winning the championship, you have every team plays six games because this is a developmental program, you know? So you play for classification. And Pakistan, by the end of it, after six games, have the same number of defeats as England, the runners-up. So essentially, Pakistan have a 5-1 series record in the, in the competition. And their only bad luck, or what you want to call it, is that Australia outplayed them in the quarterfinal. And that was what now defines Pakistan campaign because they could have been a finalist team, you know? Uh, they After that, they beat Bangladesh defending champions in the 5th place playoff. Then they beat Sri Lanka also in the 5th place playoff to finish 5th. So what I mean to say is Pakistan were excellent this tournament. Okay, But it's just one game which defined them and there's nothing to choose between them and an England who were runner-up because both finished with just one losses. Yeah, no point taken. But uh, the other thing I also wanted to uh, ask you about and discuss was, so Pakistan probably didn't do any worse than, for example, they did two years ago when they um, ended up, I think, making the semifinals. But uh, I stressed one other thing. Uh, the thing about Bangladesh is they were defending champions, but now the way the tournament ended, do you think they they had higher expectations for this side given that the one two years ago ended up winning the tournament? And why do you think they didn't realize them? Good question. Of course, Bangladesh defending champions and they were being led by a, a man called Rakibul Hassan who hit the winning runs in 2020. He was captain in 2022. So, uh, you don't he doesn't need any reminders on how it feels to win a World Cup. Okay. Uh, but the sad thing was the tournament started off in a terrible way for them. And that is they were 97 all out against England. And from a jolt like that, it is tough to recover. And that is exactly what happened with them. Even though they came out of the group stage, faced, because they finished second, they were they were set to meet an, a formidable India side uh, in the quarterfinals. And 
I mean, of course, Bangladesh beat India in the 2020 final, but this time it wasn't to be. India bowled them out for 111, and and that was that. So, so Bangladesh will be extremely disappointed. But uh, it was known that it would be an uphill task to to win again. But people expected them to go farther than eighth position for sure, because eighth means that you lost all your classification games after losing the quarterfinal. Right, Shreyast, you mentioned. India and the fact that there were no known superstars and even coming away from the tournament, there's nobody that's maybe stood head and shoulders above the rest. But there is one player from South Africa, Baby AB, who's taken this tournament by storm. Dual Previs, of course, he's finished as the tournament's highest scorer. He's also finished as the highest scorer in any edition of the Under-19 World Cup. I think except that one match against Sri Lanka, was it, where he did not perform? He's got... 50-plus scores in every other innings that he's played and probably hit the most sixes as well. Special, special talent on the cards. He is very special. So, uh, before the tournament started, uh, we had to rely on, you know, Instagram reels of fans, of fans of cricket who make reels of all these players and share. So, that, that is all the data we have. But the problem with watching highlights reels is that you can only see the good yeah. bits. You can only see the fours and the sixes. You cannot see the missets. You cannot see the singles, the doubles. And that is what watching a, a tournament or a match on its whole can show you. It can show you how he picks the gaps, how hard he runs, uh, how he is toying with the field. Those things cannot be seen on highlights. So so definitely he was by far one uh, the standout player. Uh, but these it comes with a lot of factors. It comes with a lot of factors like South Africa's top order was struggling. So he came in early. He had the chance to score the runs. You know, a lot of players don't have the chance uh, to, to score runs. Like for Australia, they had they had Teague Wiley and Campbell Callaway putting great starts. So how much can the number three or four do? But he had that blessing and he, I mean, you have to still grab the opportunity. And he did. He scored 65 against India, which uh, put India in trouble because India were defending a low total. Then 104 against Uganda. He had 138 against Bangladesh to end the tournament. But he also had 96 and 97, which although in statistics <laughs> go down as half centuries, but they were as good as centuries. 97 against England, 96 against so, Ireland. So is, so, is it time we start start asking him about his 50 to 100 conversion rate like we do with Joe Root? Yeah. <laughs> and the, and the, the good thing was he also contributes with the ball. So, so, so we'll be seeing a lot more of Brevis, of course, in... In, in South Africa colors, but IPL teams, yeah. IPL teams are quite key yeah. on, by so, the way. So, so before South Africa, we saw Marco Janssen getting picked up mm. by Mumbai Indians. Don't be surprised if Dewal Brevis also makes the cut. Yeah, so so you, you you mentioned the IPL, you brought it up. The auction is is this weekend on Saturday and Sunday. You have seen most players now in 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 the Under Nineteen World Cup. Brevis, of course, is the obvious one. But are there any others that you would point point want to point out to who will pay, who will probably go for some amount of money at at the auction this weekend? Uh, well, I don't know about uh, other countries apart from, say, Afghanistan, uh, where we have uh, Izarluk Navid, who's a leg spinner, and there's Noor Ahmed, who was playing a second tournament, the left arm spinner, who can also hit the ball a long way. So these two players from Afghanistan could possibly get, because of their mystery element, uh, you know, players who can have an impact in a short term, uh, two season impact, whatever. So they might be interesting, but uh, Indian players, I think many of them will. But they have, they would have had to show some explosiveness in this tournament for them to do that, you know. And by that I mean, uh, we had we had Raghuvanshi and Bawa both scoring massive centuries against Uganda, and even though both were quick, I think Bawa's consistency in scoring those quick runs more often makes him a bigger favorite to make to make the cut over say someone like Raghuvanshi. Uh, Yash Dhul is going to get a my prediction is going to get a bid from Delhi Capitals, and the reason for that is. 
the academy he plays cricket in uh, is basically now under the aegis of Delhi Capitals Cricket Academy. So the DC people have seen him for a long, long time. And I think they would like to be associated with Dhul's journey because because he they were the people who also sort of seed the, sowed the seeds of his success at the age of 13 or 14. So these two guys I definitely see going. Uh, Hunger Gekar, quick bowler, tall guy, strong for a 19-year-old, can hit the ball a lot. He has a 250-plus strike rate innings uh, as a cameo with a bat as well. Uh, so these three people stand out, you know. How about Dinesh Bana? He finished the World Cup with two sixes. He finished the World Cup with two sixes. And the reason he went under the radar through the tournament before that was because of how good his wicket-keeping was. So Dinesh, and you know, Indian wicket-keepers are a mass, are, are, are too hard to find good Indian wicket-keepers in the IPL circuit. So you never know. I mean, he, the guy finishes with a strike rate of 190 in the tournament. But just the thing is that he had only scored 63 runs. So it, it needs to be seen how how it goes. All right, all right. For 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 all the answers to these questions that we have, obviously tune into the IPL auction. Uh, we leave the Under Nineteen World Cup here. India winning the title for a fifth side for the fifth time. Congratulations to to the boys in blue once again. And we'll move on to the Pakistan Super League. And Danyal, now this is your time to come to the fore to shine. I have one simple question for you, and this is what I've been thinking watching most PSL games this season. Is Mohammad Rizwan the best T20 player in the world at this moment in time? So I had I had that in my notes. I'm glad you've set me up. Um, I. <laughs> I, I I wouldn't necessarily say he's the best T20 player in the world in the sense that I don't think if there was an auction with everyone included, he'd be the first one to be picked. I don't think that's true. But I, I do think that he is the best T20 opener in the world. And I, I think, especially especially for the sort of game that Pakistan play and the sort of game that Multan are now beginning to play, that's very useful because he's one of those players who is adaptable to any situation. So you think sometimes the strike rate can be slow. Well, this tournament, his strike rate's close to 140, which for the PSL, traditionally a low-scoring league isn't that bad. He's raised his game with Pakistan as well. And the fact that he plays in a side where, I think, I was looking this stat up, Multan have three players who have, I think, among the top 15 highest strike rates since the start of 2021 in all T20 cricket. There's Riley Rousseau, there's Tim David, and uh, there's one of that. I, I think it's Khushdil Shah, but I'm not sure. But yeah, the whole point is um, when he plays in a side that also has other big hitters, the platform he sets becomes even more valuable. And and I, I think that's reflected in the way um, Multan have been playing this season. The, the, the way they have all bases covered, they look near invincible right now. Yeah, five five matches, five victories. I wanted to focus this PSL segment mainly on two teams. The one side that has won five and five and Karachi Kings, of course, led by Babar Azam, who have lost five and five. But let, let's start with the positives. Let's start with Multan Sultans. We spoke about Rizwan. You mentioned him, David, Riley Russo. Riley Russo did, did, didn't play the last game. Khustil Shah, you mentioned his big hits. I think there was a point a couple of games ago where he was ahead of Imran Tahir as the top wicket taker in the tournament. I think Tahir has gone and taken that 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 mantle that mantle back uh, there have been other players as well who like Shanawaz Dhani who was was he dropped in the middle and then he was told that he needs to come back and him and his smile on his face comes back in the last game and takes what was it a 3-4 and pretty much ends the game versus uh, Peshawar Zalmi yeah so uh, Shanawaz Dhani is an interesting one because yes he was he was dropped um the issue with Shanawaz Dhani was there was perhaps a fear that what happened last year impressive as it was and talented as he is was maybe slightly an outlier he's not going to perform that way every tournament he's not going to take the highest number of wickets outshine Shaheen Afridi and those guys 
So there was this sense that maybe um, they were, there was possibly a bit of second season syndrome, teams were figuring him out. He tended to be a lot, uh, very expensive even in the, that first season. So I think he's trying to rework his game and continue to adapt because teams are going to start to adapt to him. But what is more notable, especially um, from a Pakistan point of view, is that usually what happens is the, high, the best wicket-taking figures come from, from the bowlers and the highest run scorers tend to be uh, come from Pakistani bowlers and the highest run scorers tend to be overseas batsmen or batters. But this time, uh, you see a lot of Pakistani batters also coming to the fore. We've obviously mentioned Rizwan, Shan Masood, who's turned into quite an exceptional, surprisingly to some extent, T20 opener. Fakhar Zaman obviously has been doing well. And even players like Essen Ali, who played for Pakistan a couple of times, didn't really impress, was dropped a couple of years ago. So that those are encouraging signs for Pakistan where it's, it's some of their... From some of their from the Pakistani batters who are doing just as well potentially as some of the overseas ones at the moment. Yeah, Multan. Of course, I wanted to give a special shout out to Tim David. He's someone I heard of, I think, for the first time in during last year's Big Bash League, and then he played the hundred as well. Every time he comes out there, at least at least in this tournament, it's it's box office cricket. Yeah, so uh, a lot of Pakistani uh, fans definitely only heard of Tim David after Lahore Kalandas plumped for him for the second half of uh, of that uh, PSL, the one that was held in the UAE. And people thought maybe he was one of those who wasn't that well-known. The PSL was trying to fill a roster with overseas players who were only just beginning to make their names. But yeah, he lit that tournament alight and then he went to the BBL again and he was exceptional. And yeah, he just he just continues to pick up where he, le- where he left off. His, if this is a purple badge, I'm, it's some purple badge because it doesn't really end. <laughs> and and yeah, that's the thing with the under with the T Twenty World Cup coming up in Australia. I'd be very surprised if he's in the, that Australian side by now because it's just to some extent he reminds me in the way he plays his shots. He reminds reminds me a little bit of Inzama Malhat because he's so languid in the way that he strikes uh, the ball. Um, he doesn't remind me of Inzama in the field for sure because he's an exceptional fielder. But uh, but in terms of the way he plays his shots, yeah, there, there's an elegance and almost a laziness to it because he makes it look so effortless and those big hits, yeah, the easy power that comes to him, I've seen with very few players. Daniel, you mentioned a T20 World Cup here. Let's move to the team that's bottom of the Pakistan Super League table at this point in time, the Babar Azam-led Karachi Kings. Now, we had the small poll on Crickinfo recently saying, uh, you mentioned these names already, Rizwan, Shan Masood, Fakhar Zaman, of course, Babar Azam. Is there Slowly, a feeling starting to creep in that hmm, maybe he, he's captain, but it's not working out with Karachi Kings at all so far. A, where is it going wrong? And B, is it going to in any way affect the national side? Now, I want to, I want to say that Babar is still scoring runs, although the last time I saw that chase for slow runs, it wasn't, it wasn't what you expect. Yeah, so what Babar Bab did over the first three games, his form and Fakhar Zaman's form prompted me to write that piece, which I think should start a debate to some extent about the way Pakistan used their openers. Because obviously, while Babar and Rizwan set huge platforms, Babar starts off sometimes a bit too slowly, and especially and that's especially true when Karachi Kings or Pakistan are batting first. I think his strike rate with Pakistan when they're, or Karachi when he's, they're batting first is 122 versus 134 chasing. Fakhar Zaman, uh, on the other hand, just goes hell for leather every time, whether they're batting first or chasing. So sometimes I think maybe the best option might be for Fakhar and Rizwan to open, especially with Pakistan, when Pakistan are batting first and Rizwan and Babur to open when they're chasing because during a chase, Babur can raise his game and his strike rate quite masterfully. But with Karachi, they batted first the first three games and that's where 
the worst aspects of Barber's T20 opening game came to the fore. He's, he was a little too cautious. I, I, I'm not sure he's the best judge of what a good target might be on a pitch. And that's where I think sometimes he can stumble. And he gets overly conservative when he finds other players in the side struggling, which has been the case with Karachi. Um, we can come back to this again, but yeah, the thing with Karachi is so much has gone wrong, and I think we should just quickly name check that. I mean, Chris Jordan's unavailability massively uh, messed with the balance of their side. Obviously, Mohammad Amir, Mohammad Elias ruled out with injuries. Amir's a good death bowler and a new ball bowler. Imad Wasim and Mohammad Nabi, who don't really have the numbers. The emerging players were away at the Under-19 World Cup. Yeah, I mean, it's just been a bit of a horror show for Karachi. You're, you're basically naming almost everyone in that legend, Daniel. <laughs> Uh, so is 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 that what you're saying? Apart from Babar and Sharjil, Sharjil has done decently sometimes with with Babar at the start. Ian Cockpain, he looked he looked all right when when he played against in that chase against Zalmi. I, I honestly thought when he and Babar were playing, they could have chased it down, but that it it, it didn't work out. Is Mama Nabi, for example, a problem? If he, he doesn't seem to have performed for a while now. Yeah, that's the thing. That's why I mentioned Nabi in there because this, what's true of Mohammad Nabi is also to some extent true of Imad Wasim, and they have both of them in the middle order. So both of them have this reputation that they might be able to do something useful for a T20 side when required with the bat. But with Nabi, the evidence isn't really there. And with Imad Wasim, the evidence isn't really there. Imad's strike rate, I think, is in the mid-120s. His average is way too low, so it, at best, when he does perform, it's a few cameos that don't really make a huge difference when you are chasing a big score. So, yeah, that's that's the problem. The fact that they have two of them in there who are ostensibly all-rounders but actually not becomes a problem, especially when Barbarazam at the top isn't really firing on all cylinders either. So they become what the side that's heavily reliant on someone like Shahjil Khan and Joe Clark, who was an influence in the early stages, to perform. But, yeah, I mean, that's just when those two don't, do well, then yeah, Karachi struggle massively to set totals. Any any positives for Karachi fans from you? Is there anything to look forward to more in this season where they've played what five games? So that's five more in 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 the in the league stage. Is there a chance? Is there a hope? Yeah, I mean maybe we are. Uh, I mean I I can I can clutch at some straws, but that's already already be. Um, so yeah, so maybe the one thing is Chris Jordan's back. He didn't have a great game in his first game back, but yeah, I mean we all know he's a magnificent death bowler, good fielder. He's done well in the PSL before with Peshawar as well. Um, other than that, yes, we do know sometimes if Barber blows hot and cold when he has those good patches of form, he can sometimes turn into this T20 beast as well. And besides, and besides that, yeah, I mean they they move away from Karachi, which uh, theoretically should be a, shouldn't be a good thing, but yeah, maybe that gives them. The change of scenery that they need because they lost all five games at home. But yeah, it's just that no team has ever come back from this position to qualify for the playoffs at the PSL. And remember that Karachi are the only side in PSL history to have qualified for every single playoff stage. So this this is this is a first for them. And yeah, yeah, it's damaging to them. Yeah, so Multan are top. They're on 10 points. On zero are Karachi Kings. So they are bookending the Pakistan Super League 2022 table so far. Let's quickly go through the other teams and t- let me know if anyone stood out for you. That It's a bunched up set of three teams, four teams for possibly three playoff, three more playoff places. That's Islamabad and Lahore Kalandar is on six points each. Keta and Peshawar Zalmi are on four points. Is any any standout names? Is, is, is someone like Jason Roy coming back in and hitting that, that absolutely blistering century as he did last night? Is he going to help Queta uh, Gladiators probably surge ahead and reach the playoffs? So what we've seen in this tournament is to a clear split between the top three and the rest. The top three and the bottom three just look like they're playing in two different leagues in a way. Because until yesterday when Jason Roy played that one of the best knocks, many knocks I've ever seen, 
none of the bottom three had won any game against any of the top three. So that was the first exception. But yeah, other than that, it's just that I've, it does feel a bit like uh, the bottom three are just fighting for that one playoff spot. Karachi are realistically probably out of it, so it's been between Quetta and Peshawar. Yeah, I, I, I still think that Quetta Gladiators have, a, have quite a few problems. Obviously, Hassan, we saw he's been ruled out now because of his, uh, his bowling action was deemed illegal. And that just adds to their problems. Sarfraz isn't really firing. But yeah, Jason Roy might be papering over some cracks, but if he can just carry that form for a little while, we know T20's, uh, T20 cricket is that sort of game where if one guy's just dragging you by the scruff of the neck, you can do big things. And I think that's the sort of catalyst where they need Jason Roy to be if they are to have a chance. You know what? I I won't leave this part without without having a word for Islamabad United. I know Multan have won 5-5. Five and five. But every single time I watch this Islamabad United team bat, it is it is stunning. Those 20 overs with Sterling, Hales, Munro, Shadab Khan coming in there, Azam Khan, Asif Ali, they all can hit. It's it's a remarkable side, right? So they have a philosophy where they're just going to, 11 players are going to smack them, try to smack almost every ball out of the park. And they, the thing is, they're not afraid of failure. I think that's the secret to their success to some extent. Sometimes it might go horribly wrong. They might get bowled out for 90. It doesn't really happen because they call, the quality of players is so good. But that's why some people think, even though Multan have won all five games, Islamabad are perhaps as good as Multan. And it will be those two sides versus the rest when it comes to the later stages of the tournament. They just have the most, the most lucid game plan. There's so much clarity. Everyone's on the same page. And I think that's part of the secret to their success. They're not afraid of failure and they know what they want from a T20 innings. I'll tell you what, this this season of the Pakistan Super League, it's it's it is one that I have pretty much seen, Daniel, every game. Just I want to tell everyone listening, don't don't sleep on it this year. It, it, there are so many narratives that are coming up, I think, during each each game week. I didn't realize that there was a two-day break. I thought it was just, just today. But I think it it gives some teams maybe a couple of days just to reset. Multan Multan's coach is not going to be with them, but it doesn't seem to be really affecting their form. How are you looking forward? What what narratives do you think are going to build over the next five games of, of the league stage? Yeah, so we had this two-day break mainly, I think, to get every team back, every team to Lahore from Karachi because the first leg was in Karachi and the rest is going to be in Lahore. But um, yeah, the one thing I'm looking forward to, yes, of course, is I want to see how Karachi do. They surely can't be as poor as they were in Karachi. Um, the, the, the other thing, I, I also believe that with um, with Jason Roy, with Quetta, I, I think they could be a different side and I'm, I'm hoping for... More uh, a, a more exciting performance from the bottom three, from Quetta, from Peshawar, from Karachi, because I think otherwise the the group stages can sometimes become a bit predictable and a bit one-dimensional. Um, I still think I still think as impressive as Multan are sometimes. Surely Hushtal Shah's form, bowling form can't really hold for that long. It's just it just amazes me because I used to think that having only Imran Tahir as a spinner would be an Achilles heel for Multan, but you know, Imran's been exceptional and obviously Hushtal stepped in. So, yeah, it's just some of those narratives where I feel like maybe people can poke in at one or two flaws in the Multan side. Um, everyone just waits to see what Lahore will do because generally they don't really find themselves high, as high up the table as they have. And now with the home crowd, especially for the playoffs and the final as well, the first final in Lahore since 2017, I think there's a lot to look forward to in this second half of the PSL now. Yeah, there's plenty to look forward to. And Danyan, we'll catch up with you probably a bit more often as we reach the business end of the Pakistan Super League this season. My pleasure, Karthik. Always good to be with you. Uh, thank you so much for joining us today. A special thanks to Shreist as well, who was there with us for the under-19 bit of ESPN Cricket for Stump Mike. We will now join you, I think, 
a day or two after the auction this weekend.